Blog Talk Radio. The Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist. The Amethyst Oracle. Delve into life, death, and everything betwixt, between, betwixt, and beyond. Between, and beyond. Betwixt, between, and beyond. With a queer twist. The Amethyst Oracle. Divination with a queer twist. And now, here are your hosts, Charlie Harrington and Heidi Lutton. And welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us this evening. As you heard, you've joined the Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist. And I just want to let you know that you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Amethyst Oracle, or just do a quick search for the Amethyst Oracle on Facebook. Uh, you're also always welcome to email us at theamethystoracle at gmail.com. Uh, and you can certainly reach me, Hi C, uh, by emailing me, Hi C at tarotbyhighc.net if you ever wanted to reach me personally. Uh, but we're happy to have you here. We're happy to have you on our Facebook page to hear from you with comments, questions, suggestions, etc. So with that out of the way, I would like to welcome my esteemed colleague and co-host, Mr. Charlie Harrington. I accept this welcome most graciously. I should hope so. Otherwise, had you refused, you would have been beheaded. I'm just That's right. <laughs> For a matter of formality. How are you, Heisey? I am doing well. <laughs> I'm really excited about... Um, I was going to try and make this into a segue. I always really pride myself on my segue. It had something to do with celebrities and professionalism and going pro, but I, 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 I'm coming up dry. That's well, it's like, it's, it's, this is the show where if you were an actor, it would be going from performing in the local dinner theater to uh-huh. your first big feature film role. Oh. You get your SAG card. To <laughs> and so all of that is to say, what we're going to be talking about tonight is going pro. Mm. You know, coming out from your bedroom to the street corner. Um <laughs> I kid, I kid. Well, of course, one of them is the old world's oldest profession. I'm not it, sure which, but it's true. Uh, and and of course, this is for anyone who has ever thought they might have had a hobby, a side business, a passion for something that they thought, you know, I could do this for a living. I could do this professionally, not just as an amateur. And so, whether it would be wanting to become a professional tarot reader or to become a professional massage therapist, or whatever it is somebody might like to do. We are here with our very special guests this evening to help you feel motivated to consider doing that and not talk yourself out of it. (laughs) uh, Was there anything in particular that, that... prompted you to think of this topic for 
our show? You know, I think that a lot of readers, um, for very different reasons, desire to go professional. One, as in a revenue stream. (laughs) One, maybe also another reason is uh, to have a job you like more than your your current job. But also, um, there is a level of a professional reader um, has sort of achieved a certain level of, of, of status. Uh, you know, you're, you're, a, you're, you're, you're um, I don't know, it might, might be proving yourself, but also uh, it's a way to be of service to others uh, with, with your abilities as a uh, reader. So, uh, you know, right. whatever it is, there's a whole grab bag. And, uh, but, and I think a lot of people stand on the sidelines and think, Someday, maybe, uh, you know, they read on, like, they'll read for one person professionally or they'll go to a a cafe and bring out their cards and just hope someone asks them (laughs) for a reading or they'll do, I don't know, they'll go, they'll work for a hotline, but um, a little bit here and there, but it's taking the plunge is, is, uh, can be terrifying and people might not know where to start or they might be sabotaging themselves without realizing it. And I thought it would be interesting to discuss this. And I think it's for anyone who has ever looked at somebody doing something and thought, I could do that. Mm-hmm. And then for whatever reason, has convinced themselves that they can't. Yes. So, uh, and I do want to mention, since you and I both use the Tarot, mm-hmm. do have your deck on hand. <laughs> All hands on deck, but I said deck on hand. I'll grab um, my deck. <laughs> and I because I, I was thinking that perhaps even as we are talking to uh, uh, Sari, I have to remember to say her name right because I always say it wrong and I know she hates it. Um, so as we are talking to, to – oh, boy. <laughs> as we're Sorry, talking Sari. to Sari, um, when there are things that come up, we might even use the tarot a bit to pull a card and say, okay, if we're talking about how to overcome that fear of or whatever or how to take that action, perhaps we might use the tarot for a little additional insight to say, and how could someone do that? Or what would that fear look like? So That's have just your deck. It might work. It's true. So have your deck ready, just in case. So having said that, I think we will go ahead and play our always oh-so-exciting and professional uh, introduction for our guests uh, in order to bring Sari on and enjoy this brief musical interlude as well as some information about this evening's guest. Jump, you don't feel the fall. Hope when the water rises, you build a wall. Hope when the crowd screams out, they're screaming your name. Hope if everybody runs, you choose to stay.
Joining Charlie and Hi-C on The Amethyst Oracle this month is Sari Maline, the bold living, enthusiastic, optimist pants-wearing champion of the greatest you that you can be. Sari Maline has been leading and coaching teams as a high-star hospitality executive for 15 years. She reaches into her Mary Poppins bag of yes and empowers you to reach for your fiercest goals. She is also the purveyor of unlimited positivity, despite earning her master's degree in Been There, Done That from the School of Hard Knocks. Working with Sari means finding ease where difficulty once lived, breaking through fables that keep you from excellence and believing in yourself with more conviction than you ever thought possible. Working with Sari means finding ease where difficulty once lived, breaking through fables that keep you from excellence and believing in yourself with more conviction than you ever thought possible. She is a coach who will instill courage and confidence while demanding that you have a damn good time doing it. Sari obtained her coaching education from the Coaches Training Institute, the largest and oldest coach training school in the world. In 2002, Sari received one-on-one coaching and leadership training directly from Stephen Covey, author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. She has been honored as Hospitality Manager of the Year and has twice received Best of State Awards for luxury spas under her leadership. Sari lives in Sonoma County, California and is an active, passionate member of the LGBTQ community. Her clients identify in all ranges of the gender and sexuality spectrum. She has volunteered and fundraised in conjunction with AIDS Lifecycle, Olivia Travel, GLAAD, The Trevor Project, and the National Center for Lesbian Rights. Sari came out of the closet in 1995, two years after Melissa Etheridge, but two years before Ellen DeGeneres. To find out more about Sari and her work, or to schedule a session with her, you can visit her website at www.sarimaline.com. That's S-A-R-I-M-E-L-I-N-E.com. So please join us in welcoming to the Amethyst Oracle, Life Coach, Sari Maline. And welcome, welcome, if you can hear me over the crowd, Sari, welcome to the show. Thank you. (laughs) Took a lot to get those people simmered down there. That was fun to listen to. I don't know that I've ever heard all of that said about me out loud. That was a lot of fun. I appreciate that. (laughs) There's no going back on it now. (laughs) Nope, it's there. It's it's now solidified. I thought I would surprise you with the voice, too. I don't know if you recognize the voice. I did. I did. Thank you. <laughs> it was lovely. So we would like to extend our appreciation for being willing to be here tonight to talk about this topic of going pro. And, you know, maybe we could just start out a little bit, give people a little insight as to who you are as a coach and the kind of work that you do and what it is that you try to help people accomplish and achieve through working with them? Sure. So, I, you know, it's interesting that we're talking about turning pro because I literally took something that I had been doing in my career and pulled that one section of it aside and decided to only do that. Um, what I, What I found was that the thing I was the most successful at in my career in um, as a hospitality executive in resorts and hotels was that my one talent was 
essentially in coaching my employees onto their next job. Um, you know, I, 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 it was easy for me to see what they were really good at and help them make whatever the next move was in their career. And, you know, I was always sad to see them go, but always, you know, it was kind of like a little mama bird pushing the, the baby bird out of the nest and watching them fly and, you know, going on to new things. And that was so fun to do. And it gave me such pleasure and such joy that I decided to take that aspect of what I was doing and make it what I did for a living. Um, that's essentially what drove me um, to become a coach. And now the people that I work with primarily identify as LGBTQ, but also they have a dream that they haven't yet created. They're, they're either stuck somewhere or they just, they know they're supposed to be doing something bigger and better than what they're doing now. And they just don't know how to take that first step. And that's where coaching in general can become very beneficial. Um, but that's where my coaching expertise, particularly, that's where it lies. And one of the little phrases that you use is that you help people move from intention to completion. So. Yeah. How, how do people initially, how, how do you help them to form the right intention and the properly focused and clarified intention? Well, one of the very first things that I do with people is to have them identify what I call them your core values. Um, what are your core values? And um, these are not nouns. Um, you know, people say, oh, I, well, I value money. Well, yes, that's nice that you value money, but what is it that money gives you that is so important for you to have? And if money gives you, you know, uh, a car, and the reason why the car is important is so that you can have transportation, and the reason why you need that transportation is because taking the bus or the public transport feels limiting maybe what your value really is, is freedom. Um, so instead of saying, I value money, you actually value freedom. Um, so I go through with people and help them discover what their actual values are. We, we really dive into them deep to see what's behind the things that they feel are important. Um, and then when they have that list, it's a lot easier for them to make decisions based on what's important. Because, you know, if, if all you're doing is chasing the job that has the really high paycheck, in the end, you won't be happy. Because the money may not provide everything that you need, you know, because you don't actually value money. You value the freedom and maybe the money is nice, but you don't have the freedom because you're working an 80-hour week. So discovering that, you know, we, we funnel everything down so that people can say with conviction that their five most important values are blank, 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 and blank. Um, you know, for instance, my top key five values are fun, 
of course. I love fun. If it's not fun, it's not fun if it's not fun. And this is sort of my, you know, mantra for life. Fun, strength, optimism, independence, and honesty. And those are, you know, those are the things that are the most important to me. So when I make any decision or when I decide to do something radical, like quit my job and start this career based on a talent or a hobby, I want to make sure that I'm actually valuing, you know, or I'm honoring those values. So that's really the first step, deciding what's the most important. And a lot of times you'll hear uh, people say that, you know, they they started this business of theirs because it was their passion or people will often give that advice, you know, follow your passion and that kind of thing. Um, but I've actually had a couple of clients and I'm wondering how you'd approach this because I think this is right at the very first step. If they came into you and they said, well, but I don't know what my passion is. How would you how would you help someone or how would you suggest to someone to start to discover or to connect with their passion in order to really be able to come up with those five things uh, to, to figure out what to go after and the best way to do that? A really fun way to discover what you're passionate about, well, to me, to me it's fun. And again, we're coming back to fun. Um, a really fun way is to make a list of all the times that you felt happy in your life. And it doesn't have to have an age limit. It could be um, the moment that you were sitting at a campfire with all of your friends in high school and, um, you know, your parents didn't know where you were and so it felt a little exhilarating, you know, or it could be the time that you got a promotion at work because of something that you did, um, you know, that you really put a lot of time and energy and heart into, um, it, it could be the time you made the, the basketball team, you know, in junior high because it was the first time you'd been chosen for a team. Uh, you know, it, it, all of those things, if you, if you can go through and make a list, and, you know, I say 30 is a good number, but I also think that the number could coordinate with your age. Uh, for instance, I'm 41, so I would like to come up with 41 items that indicate when I felt the most happy in my life. And and it's not always easy. It really, you know, gives you it, – it forces you to go back into your past and think, gosh, when was I really, truly happy? And if you look at that list, you, you'll start to see repetitive items. You know, for instance, when you were chosen for something, you know, if that shows up more often, you know, a team or a job or a promotion or something, if outdoors shows up often for you, that you know, maybe your passion lies around being in the outdoors. If uh, moments when you were helping others was what made you the most happy, maybe that's where your passion lies is in helping others and maybe, you know, nonprofit work or a service position would be, you know, better for you. So it's it's a good starting point, just making that list of when were you the most happy. Interesting. I, I love the way um, you phrased that because I think a lot of people um, that I've heard, specifically with tarot, you sort of say like, um, you know, I want I want to do a tarot. I don't know. I want to read tarot professionally. How much should I charge? As if like leaping to the very end of the process is what makes the most. Like, they kind of just want to 
you know, that's the, the, the most immediate thing. Like, okay, I guess I'm a reader. And, you know, and I like that you're, you're saying go to a very formative place and completely understand why it is you want to do this. Because I think it'll yeah. help you understand whether you should be doing it or, uh, you know, or not. If, if the reason for pursuing something is, you know, it, does it lead to, you, you mentioned, like, the, 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 the core values. Um, I'm wondering what, at the most formative stages, what do you think are the, the worst, mis- we're not worst, well, the common mistakes that people make that kind of keep them from taking real steps toward doing what they, w- they want to? Uh, well, there's, I, I would differentiate between mistakes that are made, and, those, and that's one thing, and then the other thing, which is, you know, what actually gets in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about mistakes because to me that's kind of easiest. Okay. Um, you know, I look at mistakes like, you know, you said mistakes, but, you know, anything that sort of gets in the way there. Um, a lot of people, especially when they're starting their own business or they're starting to really, you know, want they want to make money off of their talent or their hobby, um, it's just like you said. They jump all the way to how much should I charge or the other, the other thing that I see people doing is they say, well, I'm going to have a business. So that means I need business cards. I need a website. I need a logo. I need, you know, flyers. I need, you know, I mean, they, they start thinking about all of the, you know, sort of technological quote unquote necessities rather than just going out and doing what it is that you want to do. And asking people to pay you for it. You know, for instance, in in my line of work with coaching, um, I see so many coaches who come out of a coaching program, they they spend three, four weeks or sometimes three or four months designing a website, hiring a logo, you know, graphic design artist, uh, working on all that stuff. And, and when I ask them, how much time did you spend coaching this week? They go, oh, not very much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if teaching people how to fly fish is what you want to do, you don't need a website to do that. Nobody needs a website. No, nobody needs to see a website in order to hire you um, unless your business is operating solely off of an online forum, you really don't need a website. Just go do what you do. And the more people who experience what you are doing, the more word will get out. You know, it's, it's, I want to say it's well known. I hope that it's well known that word of mouth is really the best, the best business growth model. Um, You know, people, people want to do what other people are doing. And so word of mouth is very popular and you will never get word of mouth if you waste a lot of time, you know, ordering business cards. (laughs) These days you can hand someone, you know, you can give someone your phone number or your web address and they'll just whip out their smartphone and put it in and they're going to throw a business card away anyway. (laughs) That's Um, very true. (laughs) So as far as, as far as mistakes go, the thing that I find the most common is is that people spend less time doing what they're good at and more time trying to do what they think is necessary in order to build a business. 
I would I would almost go so far as to say you don't need a website or business card until you've had your business for a year. Mm, <laughs> until wow. you know that you're going to make money, then spend the money and build a website, or then you know have business cards. Um, but anyway, so that that's my first thought there. And then you know as as far as what gets in the way, you know we can talk about that um, next because you know my thought is. You know, we talk about how we sabotage ourselves. You know, you mentioned it earlier, and, you know, I can talk about saboteurs until I'm blue in the face. It's one of my (laughs) favorite things to point out for people. Um, And when you can get a really lighthearted conversation going around the things that you you use to self-sabotage yourself, you can then step back and laugh. Mm -hmm. Um, For instance, I have a saboteur that I call Martha Stewart. And <laughs> she shows up when I spent three hours on something and it was fine two hours ago. And I need to just let it go. You know, I need to send out the blog post or I need to, you know, just click save on the, you know, whatever it is I'm working on. Um, I have a Ferris Bueller saboteur that shows up when it's sunny and warm outside. Mm-hmm. And Ferris Bueller says, let's cut school, let's go play. You know, and, and one of the most um, entertaining and useful tools that I work with with um, my clients, especially when they're looking at creating this dream that they have, is for them to characterize their saboteurs so that they can acknowledge them, identify them, even talk to them if they want to. You know, that's, Ooh, that's the that. thing that I find most often gets in the way. <clears throat> You know, and I have five or six other avatars. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I think it's a really good idea the way that you did that um, in the sense of creating or giving them names and characters that are very recognizable. You know, when you say Martha Stewart, you know what the Martha Stewart type is. You don't mm-hmm. have to have some completely created character that you try to figure out what that means. And I think that that's a really good shorthand. It's like the archetypes. Uh, it's a really good shorthand to be able to quickly identify it so you can quickly start to do something about it. Um, And and I wonder what you think of this. You know, a a lot of times what I've told people is, well, like when we think of Tarot and like just getting started, uh, one way to really do that is to have somebody just like go and sit at a cafe or something like that and just put a little sign on the table saying you're doing readings and just start doing readings. You don't have to have an office or be in a store or, you know, have all of the trappings and everything. And that'll help to build that word of mouth. And, you know, like you said, people will pull out their phones nowadays instead of holding on to a business card. And it's quick and easy to just tell somebody your your phone number or your contact information for them to have it. And so I've often told people the most important thing that you can have to get started is your elevator pitch. Because Mm -hmm. you should be able to tell someone within a couple of sentences what it is that you offer so that they can quickly get an idea of what it is, whether that's right for them, if you're the right person for them, and you don't have to spend a lot of time trying to, you know, explain and work around and come up with, you know, uh, you know, stumbling to try to say, well, that's not really what, well, I kind of do this, but, you know, here's, but it's this, you know, so I think that maybe the elevator pitch that causes you to focus or narrow that down so that you yourself are very clear and succinct 
in what you're offering and what it is so that you can quickly tell people that as well. I agree with that absolutely. It's you know it's it's very important and I even find myself even now you know people ask me what I do and of course in my community it's so easy to say oh I'm a coach and they understand. Um, for instance, I was in Costco today and I had forgotten my card so I had to go to the membership counter and get it, you know, a temporary card. And the gentleman behind the counter looked at me and he goes, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a coach. And then I realized that I had to be more specific because he had no idea. I could be a soccer coach. I could be, I could be a coach of anything. Um, so even, you know, just the what do you do, you know, is important to be able to define um, with people who have no idea. You know, we could go back to the fly fishing thing and, you know, say I, I teach people to fly fish. But more importantly, you know, I, you know, you could lengthen that by saying I take people who have never fly fished before, I take them on, you know, a journey out to this really beautiful lake out in, you know, X location, and we spend three or four hours working on your, you know, fly tying skills, and then we go fishing. And that's, you know, that's a full sentence, but it really embodies everything that you do, and it also gives the person that you're speaking to a picture of what it will be like when they hire you. You know, they get the image of going out in, you know, to this beautiful lake and taking this journey and, you know, spending some time tying flies and then you go fishing. You get the, you know, you, if you're using descriptive words and really putting the person into that situation, it's much easier for them to see themselves there. And, and thusly, it's easier for them to hire you. And, and I also think it makes them focus on themselves because one of the things Charlie said in, in the little introductory segment we had um, is a lot of times people will go into things like tarot or, or some of the healing modalities and different things because they want to be of service and what they want to do for people. But I, I think that that's the wrong, and you can correct me, but I think that that's the wrong approach or the wrong initial way of thinking about it. Because if you're going into something for other people, you're not actually developing it or focusing on it in the way that might be right for you because you keep thinking about what's right for other people and what do they want to see and what do they want you to provide rather than you honing and defining that for yourself first and then having that to take out there to see how it's met by the world. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, if I were having, for instance, this conversation with a client, I would point them right back to their values. Um, it's, it's, it's wonderful to be in service to others. I would offer that everybody that has a job in some way, or, or really everybody that exists in this world, is most of the time in service of others, we assume. There are very selfish people and very, you know, narcissistic focused, you know, on just and selling nobody else people. But even if you have, even if you are the receptionist in a doctor's office, you are providing a service for the doctor. Now, the difference is, is what you are doing that provides this service fulfilling your core values? So I could provide, for instance, I love that you bring up massage therapy because I, I am a licensed massage therapist, but 
it doesn't give me the satisfaction that coaching does. Because when I give a massage to someone, yes, I am providing a service and I am giving my talent to them, but because the majority of my work has primarily been done in a hospitality like a hotel setting, um, I very rarely saw people more than once. So I wasn't seeing any progressive change. And the, and the part that was valuable to me was watching people transform and creating that transformation. And so that's why coaching is a much better solution for me as far as a, you know, a, a career goes because I get to be with people as they go through that transformation. So it didn't – I wasn't doing – uh, well enough for myself by being a massage therapist. So as, you know, as, as talented as I was, I, I gave it up as a profession because it wasn't fulfilling. And isn't it key what you just said when you said coaching was much better for you, that that sometimes is what people also forget is they, they, they stop thinking about what is best for them to be doing, and they think, I've seen this person doing this and being successful, or I've seen this over here, and they start to mimic or they start to think they will be fulfilled doing what has fulfilled somebody else, rather than saying, but wait a minute, what's actually right or best for me? Absolutely. And, you know, I love that you bring this up, Heisey, because um, – the thing that is the most important, especially when you're going pro with a talent or a hobby, or even, you know, we could step aside and even say when you're making your next career move or when you're, you know, looking for the next job that you want to have, what, you know, even if it's not being self-employed or being an entrepreneur, is that if you're just copying someone else, the authenticity is gone. You're not being yourself. You're essentially trying to be a version of somebody else. And that is exhausting. I mean, it is really tiring both mentally, you know, emotionally, even physically sometimes to just try to mimic someone else's success. And I can promise you without a doubt that it is far less exhausting just to be authentic. It really is. And it also feels your fire, it really ignites your passion when you're just being yourself versus trying to be someone else. Sorry, I had my, my uh, mic muted there for a moment. <laughs> I thought I was talking, I saw the, the, the blinking light, my apologies. Uh, so, okay. so if someone had, they've decided to make a change in for their, their career and to uh, they, they sort of encountered and experienced their inner saboteur um, beyond just going out there and, you know, just and, and doing what it is you love. What, what else do you think is important in the formative stages uh, of, the, or of the, the, the new career path? to maybe some people that people might not often think about. Does that make sense, that question? It does. It, it absolutely does. And, and, I, and I, I look at um, sort of cost versus payoff here. Um, I think it's, you know, I'm a big fan of sort of 
the uh, altered pros and cons list. I mean, everybody can sit around and make a pros and cons list, but I like to look at it from a different perspective, and that is what will it cost if you do nothing? And what will you gain if you do make this move? Um, and a lot of times when you ask somebody point blank, what will it cost if you do nothing, they get really silent and, you know, internal and they get this like, oh, well, I'm going to be really unhappy. <laughs> and, and why would you keep doing something that makes you unhappy? You know, and, and, and people generally will respond, well, I'm afraid, um, you know, and, and, I, and I always prompt them with, you know, are you willing to face your fear in order to live your purpose? And these are things that I, you know, I think a lot of people don't sit down and really look at, you know, what will it cost for you to do nothing? If I do nothing, well, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be miserable. Okay, well, are you willing to face your fear to live your purpose? And if your fear is I might not make a lot of money my first year or I might fail or, uh, you know, people, I I, I may lose friends because they'll think I'm crazy, you know. Are you willing to go through those things and, and, and fight through those fears in order to be doing what you really, truly believe you are meant to be doing on this earth? Hmm. Interesting. And um, I think that one of the biggest saboteurs is uh, coziness <laughs> or comfort. Mm-hmm. And thinking, yeah. you know, staying at the company with the... Uh, you know, life insurance plan <laughs> and the, the benefits plan. Um, it's very hard to sort of get out of that nest <laughs> it, at times for people because of the, the stability. So I like the way you frame that as, but like, what is the price of staying at a job you don't like for another year? And then what is the, what is the risk of going, you know, going out for it? So there, there are, I mean, there are, some significant risk to leaving behind the comforting corporate job. But uh, and I like the way you, that you phrased that. Like what it was, and but also, um, you say it out loud. Well, you know, I could lose my job and I could lose, I think it was, um, gosh, I think it was Mary Greer. Um, it's a famous tarot writer who once talked about like, <clears throat> um, wanting to pursue something, uh, writing uh, a book or what? I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was writing a book, and she said, "Well, but if I do this, I could lose. You know, I could have no income. I'll lose the uh, house, and I'll have to live in a van. That would be, that'd be the absolute worst case scenario." And then she thought about that, and she said, "Well, I could live in a van. I could do that. I, you know, if you when you face the sort of the ultimate fear, like the ultimate like price or loss, like you, you know." Often it's something that's at some level surmountable and bounce back. Mm-hmm. I feel I don't yeah. know. Yes, and and you know you can look at this actually two ways um, because I mean I'm not insinuating that everybody that has a hobby or a talent just you know quit their day job and run off and start. Mm-hmm. That's a tough thing to do. You know all of the you know entrepreneur startup modules say don't quit your day job, you know, wait until, you know, because you'll need that cushion, presuming you don't ever want to live in a van. But there, there is value in being where you are, even if you would rather be doing something else. 
So there is value in the corporate job with the life insurance and the benefits and the you know, paid vacation time if you can utilize it in service of your big picture. So if you're willing to stay, for instance, at the fancy job and put in the energy and the time in your off hours to pursue something else that could potentially be your, you know, sort of your, your bacon, you know, that would allow you to live, and then you can leave the big corporate job. There's definitely a value in staying where you are and adding this new revenue stream to your life. Um, you know, you don't have to always look at it like, well, gosh, what's it going to cost if I quit my job, and should I always be afraid of, you know, living in a van? Because you don't, if, if you're, if you look at it from the right perspective, you potentially don't ever have to take that route. You can keep what you have, even if it's not your favorite, as long as you know that it is serving your bigger picture. And I think that also would speak to. Sometimes it's not about knowing when it's time to get a new job or go off on your own, but it also can just be reaching a point where it's time to move to the next level, whatever that might mean. It could still be in the same field, in the same company, taking on a manager position or whatever it is in order to have both the challenge and that sense of growing and evolving and progressing rather than being stuck. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious how people can identify when the time for going to the next level has arrived and then how to encourage or motivate them to be willing to take that step um, rather than to get stuck in thinking that I'm, I'm already good at this, let me not risk taking on something that I might fail at or not be as good at or I don't want to learn something new. <laughs> um, you know, so so how do how do you know when it's time to just go to the next level versus starting something completely new? Well, I think it has a lot to do with how ready you really are. Um, you know, how how much how much are you comfortable with your saboteurs? Or, you know, are you, do they still really get in the way? Um, you know, if you are still working around fear, you know, if, if fear is your number one motivator to not do it, it might not be time. Um, you know, if, you're, if your number one motivated, motivator to not do it might be, well, you know, I, I have to move or, you know, something else, then that's just all logistical. And those are all workable, but, but fear is an emotional state, and it's really hard to be productive when you're in an emotional state that creates a brick wall. So I would, I would suggest that if jumping off of a cliff and building the airplane on the way down is too scary for you, <laughs> you might want to just nudge a little closer to the edge of the cliff first until you're confident that you know how to build the airplane or, you know, you're confident you know how to learn how to build the airplane. Uh, there are a lot of, there are a lot of people. I, I have, uh, I have a client right now who 
one of the biggest challenges that she was facing was actually a coworker who was telling her essentially without words but in, in action and in behavior that she was not smart enough and that her ability to do this thing on the side that she wanted to really grow and work on was something there was no way she was going to do because this other person that she worked with gave her the impression, solely by being there and being good at his job, <laughs> you know, gave her the impression that she wasn't good enough. And she was letting this other person control what she was deciding for herself. And so we actually had to, rather than, you know, work on her pursuing that dream, we had to work on what was actually keeping her from feeling confident first. So we spent a handful of months really working on actually her relationship with this colleague of hers. And she finally got to the point where, you know, she was able to not, that that wasn't an important factor. That every time we talked about fear, for instance, that person's name didn't always come up. So it's sometimes important to just look at what's creating the brick wall for you and is it something you can work around. I'm talking a bit about saboteurs and mistakes and things like some of the scary stuff, but I was wondering, um, based on your experience and what you've seen from your clients, are there any strategies for success or helpful habits that you've identified um, for people making changes like this? Oh, you know, I, I, I don't want to punk out and say it's different for everybody, but it really is different for everybody. Uh, you know, and I know this sounds, I sound like a broken record, but if you go back to your core values, you're able to know what it is that keeps you going and, and what your recipe for success is. Um, because one of my values is fun, I have to look every day and say, is the majority of what I'm doing fun? Obviously, there are going to be parts that are hard and the parts that I don't like, um, but is the majority of what I'm doing fun? And if the answer is yes, I keep going. And because that defines me and what I'm best at, I know that it will create a path for me to be successful. Uh, If one of your core values is honesty, but, for instance, you find yourself having to tell half-truths in order to get, you know, new clients or new customers or in order to finagle your way into that, you know, workshop so that you can present, but you have to tell them maybe, you know, you've had more training than you have or whatever – it's not going to resonate and it's going to feel really yucky. So whatever whatever your values are, if you can be sure that you're constantly honoring those or honoring them as frequently as possible, that is your own personalized recipe for success. And I think even in the way you describe yourself in some ways, um, it's also not letting go or losing that sense of optimism and possibility. Because um, I think people can get to a point where they think it's they just need to give up or something is never going to happen um, or they become very closed off or closed-minded. And so I was going to ask you about a recent blog post that you did 
um, where you used a phrase that said, go ahead, be open-minded, because your brain isn't going to fall out. Um, yes. <laughs> and, you know, and I think that when we're not open-minded, we have either given up or decided that there's no other option or that the the possibilities and the potential is no longer there. Um, so from that, I'm wondering how important is open-mindedness and, and what are those things that you talked about in your blog post that you said can happen if you allow yourself to remain open-minded no matter what? Well, I love that you bring this up because um, one of the things that I've noticed as an adult is that unless we are in school, you know, in, in college or in high school or in some sort of forced training program, I think adults really love to learn. Everybody learns new things or learns in, in new ways or different ways. Um, but I think we love to learn. And it's such an eye-opening experience to allow yourself to literally open your mind and be available to new stories, new truths, new facts, um, new experiences, you know, new talents. Maybe you didn't even know you have. I just started riding a bicycle for the first time in my adult life two years ago, and it was hard. <laughs> you know that whole thing about it's just like riding a bike? It's nothing like just riding a bike. It's actually very challenging. You know, this whole learning to balance all over again, that part was somewhat easy, but there's shifting and gears and you have to, you know, unclip your shoe from the fancy pedal and yet the process of learning how to ride a bike again as an adult um, was was a great experience for me because I was able to learn new things that I didn't know about before uh, so, a, so a handful of things happens when you really allow yourself to open your mind um, one of the most important things being that you learn new things and when you learn new things, you're able to function with more information than you had before. You know, imagine a, a two-year-old trying to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich versus a 20-year-old making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know, the, the more open you are to experiencing it, the easier it will become to do. And the same is true about interactions with other humans. Um, when you learn more about, you know, different types of people in your world, whether they have a different race or religion or, you know, gender identification than you, you know, just being available to ask questions gives you more information. And more information is always better. Now, to, to parallel that with beginning, um, you know, a new phase of your life, I think it's really important to interview or ask questions of the people who either do what you do or will hire you to do what you do. So, you know, opening your mind and saying, well, I think that what I want to do is this, and it's going to look like this, and this is how much it's going to cost, and this is how often it's going to happen. If you go out and you talk to the world and just get really curious, Ask people, you know, is this something that's valuable to you? Would you pay for this? 
Do you know somebody that you think would pay for this? What do you think you would learn? What do you think you would gain? You may find that the business plan that you have in your head is not at all what people want. And maybe you need to make some shifts, um, you know, in order to be in service in a way that both suits you and suits your customer. It's, it's one of those really important steps to building your business from scratch is, is finding out what the consumer wants and is what you're providing actually what they want. And that's all, that's all a, um, a product of being willing to be a little bit vulnerable and be a little bit open-minded and go out there and just start asking lots and lots of questions. Get curious for the sake of your own success. I was going to ask if you could sort of sum up what people should do when they're thinking about it, <clears throat> but uh, I think you just did that beautifully. And um and I went to a very visual place with a two-year-old making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and I thank you for that. That was, <laughs> that was excellent. So if someone wanted to find out more about your services as a coach, how can they go about finding you? Um, I can be tracked down via my website that I did not make until I had been coaching for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. You're following your own advice. Uh, I did, I did. I mean, I had a really rudimentary one up for a short while, but it was very easy, and then I actually put a lot of work into it actually just a couple of months ago or maybe about a month ago after I had been doing this for about a year. Um, so so you can reach my website in two different ways. One of them is difficult to spell, and one of them is easier to spell. Um, SariMoline.com is my name, um, which is S A R I M E L. I-N-E dot com. That one's a tough one to remember, and I recognize that. My parents blessed me with a funny name. But you can also reach me by going to thelesbianlifecoach.com, which is very easy to remember, thelesbianlifecoach.com. And that will take you to my website where there um, are a handful of blog posts. I don't have all of them up, but there are uh, several right now. Um, and then also more information about me and what it is like to coach with me. Uh, and there's a contact uh, contact page there as well. And can you also mention the, the workshops or the, the intensives that you do? I actually am working on two different workshops right now. One of them is called Fantastic, which is designed specifically for uh, feminine identified people in the queer community. Uh, this one takes this one is, is literally a one-on-one, just you and me for a month, but it is intense. I mean, it, you really need to be able to donate 30 days of your focused, dedicated time uh, because there's homework, there's, you know, really intense, deep inquiry, but we get it done fast. It's like a, it's like a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am coaching experience. Uh, and that one is designed specifically for women who um, consider themselves at the top of their game already. Um, you know, maybe they have the job that they want. Maybe they are already, you know, successful, but there's just something missing. And for them, it might be honing a hobby. It might be, um, you know, they feel professionally successful, but sort of emotionally unsuccessful or, uh, you know, maybe physically unsuccessful. 
So um, Femtastic is designed just for that, for feminine identified women in the queer community who just want one more thing and think that they can really focus on that for a month. Um, and the second one that I'm working on right now is much more local, probably doesn't apply to very many of your listeners, um, but it is called Life Launch, and it is a program to help high school students identify their core values and learn how to utilize their core values both in uh, teamwork activities when they have their first job, uh, also to use their core values to be able to interview well in, in the job circuit and even the college circuit. So um, that's one that my 17-year-old daughter and I are actually designing together, which is a lot of fun. And it is, um, it's in person. So unless you live in Northern California, that one isn't really applicable. <laughs> But most importantly, finding out any information or contacting Sari is by going to the lesbianlifecoach.com. Yeah. Well, we would like to say a thousand thank yous for being here with us tonight and sharing your wisdom and hopefully helping spur some of those people listening into taking that next step to move from hobby or just idea to actual real-world manifestation of what they really want to be doing in their lives. So thank you very much. And I give you back a thousand your welcomes. And I also <laughs> thank you for allowing me to be on the show tonight. It has been a wonderful time. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. So Enjoy this break, and I will say that I chose this song specifically in honor of Sari's hair color and also her attitude in life.
Historical Divination with a Queer Twist with hosts Hi C and Charlie Harrington on Firefly Willows L I V E. Find out more at Facebook.com slash the Amethyst Oracle. Enjoy the show. And welcome back. Thanks for listening and our thanks to our guests. Sari Maline for having been here with us. Hopefully all of you listening um, got some nice little nuggets of wisdom out of that as well as some real-world application that you can take action on now in your own life for moving towards whatever it is that you're wanting. And this brings us to our regular Living the Queer Life segment where Charlie and I each pull a card to see how we can live our fullest and queerest selves in the coming month. So, Charlie, have you have you pulled your card for I this have deep pulled, wisdom? Oh, yes. It's, that's pretty deep. Um, I pulled a card from the tarot, uh, and I used a, um, a rider weight-based deck. It's called the Secret Tarot. And I got the Nine of Swords, which is such a fun card <laughs> for it's everyone. Like a, it's like a party in your head. It's, uh, it really is. Um so my advice, when when the Nine of Swords is an action item, um, it's a little bit different. If, if the Nine of Swords was like a problem card, you know, or it was like representing the challenge in the reading, I might, you know, quote Elizabeth Taylor and say, pour yourself a drink, put on some lipstick and pull yourself together, is her uh, her famous quote on that topic. But um, the Nine of Swords, when it's an action item, for me, is to allow yourself to experience the pain or the heartache, just allow yourself to sort of go through it. Um, Mike Myers, uh, mother-in-law, the one that the coffee talk lady is based on, uh, gave a sort of a, a motivational, uh, video at one point. She talked about the importance of the pity party and the pity party is you stay in bed, which is indicated in the nine of, in of nine of swords, um, stay in bed, don't take a shower that day, eat potato chips, watch um, <laughs> a depressing movie, and just allow yourself to feel the feelings um, with the idea that feeling them is cathartic, but it's also it's about release, feeling and releasing them, which is, I think, the challenge with a Nine of Swords. It's very easy to stay in a Nine of Swords state. A Nine of Swords often indicates... You're in your head, you're emotionally distraught, things seem very heavy, it's hard to imagine where to go from here, and um, the ability to spend some time confronting pain, confronting the struggle, um, and allowing yourself to be in that space, uh, as long as you it's, it's helping you get through it, can be useful. So uh, this is me telling you, the listener, to call in sick at work (laughs) Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, watch whatever, you know, sad movie and um, allow yourself to kind of experience it and transform from it. So, so what's the saddest movie you would suggest someone watch? Gosh, oh God, what's the um, Shirley MacLaine? Okay, the one that she recommended <laughs> in, in in the talk was uh, what's the Shirley MacLaine? And oh, I'm blanking. Uh, it's her daughter. The daughter is sick. 
Oh, isn't it um, Terms of Endearment? Terms of Endearment is the one that she recommended in that talk. Um, what's an updated one? Um, what was the uh, the saddest music in the world? It was a French film. I look to you, I see, who knows a lot about French <laughs> film. Uh, Mavie and Rose. Uh, well, but... I, I, I would... I would say for the most cathartic movie you could watch, it would be a mm-hmm. movie called Hachi, H-A-C-H-I, mm-hmm. with um, uh, Richard Gere and Joan, I forget her last name. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that is a movie that if you need a good cry, watch that movie mm-hmm. because you will cry from the gut, not just oh. from manipulation, but it will come and it will... It's like a good cleanse, you know. It just is going to pull it out of you. So, if people, if, if somebody feels they need to stay in bed all day and watch a sad movie, I'm going to highly recommend that they watch Hachi. H A C H I. If they wanted a tarot themed one, uh, watch The Red Violin, which is quite the tearjerker, and it has a tarot framing device uh, throughout. That's all I'll say. All right. So I think that my card uh, speaks perfectly and, and goes oh, right no. with you. <laughs> I see your job was to be well, the bright of a, spot but of in a, in a good way, in a good way. Um, okay. So my card is the two of swords. So oh. the first thing that I notice is that both cards are in the suit of swords, which usually is associated with the element of air. I think that both of these cards are speaking to the fact that this is going to be a very airy period. Uh, And so we want to keep our wits about us. We want to be extremely careful about what we say and how we say it. We also want to be extremely careful about how we listen and don't don't hear what we expect to hear, but be very careful of double-checking. If we think we misunderstood, if we think that we took a tone from that email that wasn't there because we were just reading it on a screen and there's no way to know what the tone was, double-check Um, go back and verify, uh, follow up. Um, And the Two of Swords, I think, speaks to that because the Two of Swords to me says, make sure you take time to sit with where your thoughts are taking you. Make sure you take time to sit with what it is that you read or what someone says before coming to a conclusion, before rushing to judgment, before assuming you know what it is that they meant. Um, or or what you think their tone was. Uh, So don't read into things when it wasn't there. One thing for me that the Two of Swords is is about is uh, playing peacemaker or arbitrator. And we may find ourselves in that position, which means we want to make sure that we're not taking sides in situations and that even though we may find ourselves in the middle, there's no reason why we have to try to come down on one side or the other right away. Take the time to get all of the information, to investigate all of the evidence, um, and be a neutral party. Uh, similarly, it could also mean we want to make sure that we seek out a third party, an objective party, a neutral party that can play that arbitrator or mediator role when we're having a conflict or when we're 
having an argument with someone, um, whether it's a work situation and going to HR or a personal situation and finding an objective friend that isn't just the friend of one or the other of the people involved, but is either a friend of both or doesn't have a stake in either side and is, can be a bit more objective. Um, and also to be to, to not fall into the trap of being overly indecisive because we can drive ourselves crazy by constantly coming up with yet another reason, yet another option, yet another choice, yet another thing to think about. At some point, we will need to just take action and make a choice and make a decision and see where it takes us. So sit with making that choice, but don't drive yourself crazy creating yet another and another and another option or choice rather than staying focused on the choices at hand or the original choices. Um, but I think that it goes to your card as well, because it's like saying, okay, it's okay to have all of those feelings of stress, anxiety, pity, whatever. So take a day to sit with them, to feel them, to experience them, stay in bed but allow that to be the cathartic experience so that when you get up the next day, you get out of bed and you have worked through them or you can leave them there and you can get on with your life rather than becoming paralyzed or falling into the trap of self-sabotage. Nine of Swords is a card of self-sabotage for me and it made me think of when we were talking with Sari that that is highly likely to come into play for people during this time period. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So a, an interesting warning <laughs> for for May. It is. It, it's it's slowing down and not being blown by whichever way the wind comes at any given moment. Know your own mind. Know your own stance. Know your own position, um, so that you are not easily swayed and influenced and constantly bouncing around um, from one thought from one position to another. Excellent. And there we are. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to start with our readings. So if you're in the queue, know that we are going to be starting to come to you for doing some reading. So we will be back right after this here on the Amethyst Oracle. Every time I try to keep myself dry, but did I ask too much? 
listening to the Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist, with hosts Hi C and Charlie Harrington on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at Facebook.com slash The Amethyst Oracle. I want it to be And welcome back. My name is Hi C. My co-host is Charlie. This is the Amethyst Oracle. And we have reached that point in the show where you have a chance to receive a reading live on the air. So we're going to go to our first caller, if you would so allow, Charlie. Um, and <laughs> this is someone calling from area code 914. Are you there, caller from area code 914? Yes, I am. Thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. Thanks for calling in. What's your name and where are you calling from? Pat, and I'm from New York. From New York. Well, it's kind of late there. That's late. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what is it that you would like for us to look at for you? Um, I have uh, two questions, if you don't mind, please. Um, if... Well, I guess it's kind of rolled into one. If I should um, come out there um, to L.A. for a while and if I will meet a gentleman with the initials of K.R. while I'm out there. All right. Uh, okay. Well, sounds like uh, well, so it sounds is, like is two it, questions. Unless would you not come out here if you're not going to meet the gentleman who is K. Um, more incentive for me to go if I do. Okay, I hear you. Okay. Yeah. Well, let me take a look. And, and 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 this and this this KR person is somebody that you already know, or this is just a psychic hit where you've received letters of who you will meet. Um, a little bit of both. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. All right then. <laughs> I like to you, for you. Sorry, for choices, I like to use a. Uh, crossroads spread where I look at what happens if you go and what happens if you don't go. Oh, see nice. Which one so looks better. I'm going to go with the left side. I'm going to pull three cards that are about um, yes, go, go. And then the right side will be no, stay, stay. So. <laughs> All right. One moment. And, and can I ask what the day and month of your birth is? The day and month of my birth is June 25th. All right. Okay. All righty here. Okay. And that's the last one. Okay. So let's see. So the significator, oh, of course. So the significator at the, um, sort of the, the base, the sort of the person, how you're entering the thing is the seven of cups. And that the seven of cups is sort of the burden of, choice and having different possibilities and not feeling confident about them. I mean, that sounds like it's the kind of thing that could apply to anyone asking a question of a tarot reader, but the seven <laughs> cups is when you're, it suggests that 
there are other options for you looking into this and you have other opportunities. But let's take a look just at going. Um, get the nine of wands, the four of cups, and the chariot for going. Let's take a look, a look real quick at staying. Uh, okay, the sun, the, uh, the four of swords, and the, the queen of swords. So let's talk about um, going. Um, if you go, I don't think you're going to meet this. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. The nine of wands is all about um, having to fortify yourself and uh, be strong. And it, sometimes it indicates a lack of communication. Uh, sometimes it represents people not hearing us. And so um, since you asked about meeting a particular individual, I thought, oh, that, that seems like that would be very hard to meet them because you're um, – with the nine, of, the nine of wands, because I keep, hope I keep saying nine of wands, the nine of wands is all about the, sort of like a struggle um, for communication. The four of cups, um, the image of the four of cups traditionally is the person looking at three cups before them sort of – they're bored, they're unhappy, and they're sort of waiting for the fourth cup, the the, the, the balancing. So um, looking at that, it, it suggests going and um, uh, um, uh, sort of like kind of waiting. Kind of the other. Yeah, and like we're just sort of waiting and holding out for this other thing to happen and not really allowing yourself to kind of embrace the area in a big way. And then the last card, the chariot, um, it's a powerful card. It's a person on a journey. It still suggests that this could be an important journey for you to come out here. Uh, the chariot is a person who kind of takes control of the chaos in their life and moves forward sort of boldly. And um, from a traditional fortune telling standpoint, it often does indicate travel. And for it to be here at the outcome of that one, it would just suggest that the act of travel is good for you. But I don't see, I see like the other two cards indicate waiting for something and communication problems. So that gives me kind of a strong no on the meeting with the individual. So the not going side, we've got the, the sun, um, which is sort of like if you stay, the sun will, you'll get to focus more on self. Uh, here, uh, the sun is sometimes kind of like a bright time when we're the center of our little universe. And the four of swords is, um, the, uh, it's a card of rest and it's a card of repose and not struggling, not engaging in things that are difficult and, and, and taking some, some quality, uh, time to recuperate, to find balance, to sort of not make any big changes and sort of be at peace. Um, and then the outcome of that one, the queen of swords. Um, now the queen of swords is a tricky one. Sometimes she's the unhappy woman, but in this spread, it looks to me like, so it, uh, by not, by not traveling, um, it would allow you to have peace of mind and the space to um, be ready to make a different choice, a, a smart choice for yourself where you are at. Um, so looking at the two, often when you do this kind of spread, um, the two cards at the end um, both look like, okay, this would be fine, which what that represents is most people can roll with decisions. Um, they can roll with the punches. But looking at these, um, 
going to LA, um, there will be a lot of challenges, but you'll rise above them and you'll be in a stronger place. Um, staying is there won't be a lot of big change in your life. Um, and at the end of the year, you'll be ready to make some smart changes, um, for the, um, for yourself. So it's, um, so I leave that particular choice to you, but that's sort of, does that, does that, does that make sense? The two, the distinction in the two? It totally does. It totally, yeah, yeah, that totally resonates with what you're saying. uh, With the Queen of Swords, um, at the outcome, I was wondering, uh, so if you had peace where you are and if you had some time and at the end of this year and like, so getting ready for 2016, you were ready to make a move up in some area of your life. What area do you think that would be in? Work. Work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She, mm-hmm. She's very smart. The Queen of Swords is the very, she's intelligent and she is strong. She often is not in exciting relationships. Um, sometimes it's, this is about, um, this, she's a kind of more career minded uh, focus. Now, the extremes are she can be like the Meryl Streep and the Devil Wars Prada <laughs> type of <laughs> intensity, or mm-hmm. she could be the Madame Curie who is. Um, making and uh, exploring things and making an intelligent decision. So that's my take, and I, I turn things over to my good friend, Hi C. Thank you so much. Yeah, sure. Um, so when were you thinking of taking this trip? End of the month. Of- I see. I see. Um, so based on the cards that I have here, and also taking into account Charlie's cards as well. The first thing I'm going to say is I think that you need a little more gestation time for making this kind of a move or trip. I would actually encourage you to wait almost a year, um, and it's going to be because you are choosing to go and going for reasons that are truly and solely for you, not for somebody else or the influence or the convincing that somebody else has perhaps um, uh, been able to have in trying to lure you out there. Now, I say this because the card that came up representing this person that you're wanting to meet is the devil card. And so um, that would cause me concern about either what their true intentions are, or you could say it's like the devil in disguise where you may be promised one thing and get out there and realize it was something else or that we're giving into temptation and they're using that temptation to lure you out there, but then you're going to find you're kind of stuck or trapped with something that wasn't what you thought it would be. Um, the first card that came up, and I laid out cards the same way that, that Charlie did with one side representing staying and the other side going. The card at the bottom of that is the... Here it's called the Jester of Gardens, be the same as the Page of Pentacles. Um, And this would tell us that perhaps at this time, this is a bit more of a folly than a wise decision or a wise thing to do. Uh, You could think of it as it's child's play rather than it's the best decision or using the best judgment and discernment, which is what that Queen of Swords really wants that he was talking about uh, coming up for him is that that 
I'm in control of my own thoughts and actions. I'm very clear on why I'm making this decision, why I am doing this, uh, and I'm doing so because I know it's the right thing to do rather than the thing that feels fun to do. Um, and we're not putting down fun uh, <laughs> in this particular instance um, mm-hmm. because the first card for going, and to me this would be in the short term, the first card for going here is the Four of Pentacles, but the image that's on this deck that I'm using, it's the Japarizzi Tarot, if you really want to know, um, shows a, it's very similar to what we think of for the Devil card, because it shows a person who is a puppet on strings being controlled and manipulated by a larger person standing behind the scene. So oh, wow. I I'm concerned that there are things going on behind the scenes or that there is someone or something that is pulling some strings to try to make this happen. But it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz idea, what's behind the curtain, and it's not going to be what we think. Um, So I I would... when I looked at the the situation between you and this person, the Five of Cups came up, which is a card of disappointment. So... I'm concerned that it would not live up to the hype or you would end up being disappointed or getting your heart broken and then feeling as if you put a lot of effort or took a lot of time out to do this and to travel all the way across the country for something that didn't really uh, pan out to be what it was either promised to be or what you had thought it would be. Now, having said that, (laughs) um, the, 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 If I look at the cards for staying where you are, we have the Six of Cups, which actually shows us that there's still something left that where you're at has to offer you. And then it's followed by the Empress card. So I think that that's saying there's still some gestation time that needs to happen where you're at before you are fully ready or before things are actually in place for you to start really considering this kind of commitment to making a trip or that kind of thing um, in this way. Now, the Empress card for me corresponds to the season of fall. So I would think that it may not be at least until the fall that you will feel as if you have gotten more information, been able to cultivate uh, yourself to, to know why and whether this is the best thing to do. In the, in the, the side for going, for taking this trip, We had that Four of Pentacles, which was the puppet idea. And then it's followed by the Queen of Cups. Queen of Cups is a really nice card to see there. And I think that there is some sort of ultimate happiness or something that's really going to satisfy and fulfill you by coming to here. Here meaning L.A. Mm -hmm. Where Charlie and I are in California, so we say here. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And Cups can be the suit of love. So... There there can be that aspect of things that await you out here. I'm pretty certain it's not with this person you think it is right now. Well, um, or more time needs to develop, and maybe it's like you have uh, you take a long time to talk on the phone and get to know each other before you actually make this kind of a trip or you know something like that. I, I don't think it's this person personally, but there you are. Um, also. Mm-hmm. The reason I ask your birth date is to calculate your year number and your year card. On your and a year means birthday to birthday. On your birthday this coming June, you're going to go into a death year. And oh, wow. okay. I, let, let us not panic. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, a death year can represent a year of 
endings of letting go of things, of things dying and, and not having any life in them or left in them. So that doesn't necessarily bode too well for going to meet somebody right now to try mm. to develop something because it may kind of wither on the vine, if you will. Um, but I think also there are some things about bringing some closure to things that are going on already where you live. And that doesn't mean just bad things. It's just that sense it still has something to offer you. And we don't want to pull the plug prematurely. Okay. So, uh, and, and so the Queen of Cups would represent Pisces. And that's why I said almost a year for perhaps when it would be the better time to come because Pisces is basically uh, March 20th, no, sorry, February 20th to March 20th. So okay. I think that maybe looking at doing this kind of a trip and maybe feeling as if things are in a better place to do so, perhaps you've been able to line up a job situation and therefore everything is much more uh, organized and focused and clear. Um, that that will be the time when those things will be more in place for making this a far more satisfying and successful type of move for you to make. Okay. Okay, wow, that was very thorough. Thank you. Thank <laughs> You're you. welcome. Yes, yeah, so it's, yeah, I guess I'm staying put for a while. <laughs> yes, but it's yeah. not that long. Uh, you know, so don't 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 get dissuaded and think, oh, I'm going to be here forever. <laughs> but no, now because because if you think of it, when is so if we think of March as Pisces, how many months from now is that? Let us not count May. So June, July, August, September, October, November, December, January, February. That's nine months. Okay. So what happens? What do we think of that happens in nine months' time? Baby, yeah, as soon as you said yes. that, yeah. So, so I think that this is the gestation period when you want to be focusing on finishing things up and preparing and cultivating the things that need to happen in order to make this a successful move rather than okay. rushing into it and making it a premature birth that isn't able to take hold and, and sustain for the long term when it's put to the real test. I see. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and not only on a mystical level, level but logical as well. Yeah. And yeah. and if somebody found out they were pregnant now and they're not having the baby for till nine months from now, it's not that they're doing nothing between now and the time the baby is born. <laughs> there is a lot mm -hmm. to do to prepare. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're asking you to take advantage of this time so that you'll end up feeling as if you're looking forward to making the move, but knowing you're doing so because you're putting everything in place that is needed to make it as successful as possible, rather than mm -hmm. creating a lot of stress and anxiety for yourself um, mm -hmm. because you, you rushed into something or, or did it too spur of the moment uh, and then it doesn't work out. Right, right. Right, yes, that, that, yeah, that totally makes sense. All right. Yeah, wow. Well, thank you. Thank you both so very much. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for calling in. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You too. And we are going to move right along to our next caller, who is calling from area code 786. Are you there, caller, in area code 786? Hello. 
Hello. What's your name and where are you calling from? I am Tiffany and I am calling from Atlanta, Georgia. Hello, Tiffany from Atlanta. How's it going? Hello. Hello. I'm doing well, thank you. Cool. What can we take a look at for you? Uh, I have a business question. I just released my third book. I'm the self-published author, and I'd like to know the best way to market it, please. Okay, best way to market it. All right. Um, So the four Ps of marketing are product, price, place, and promotion. So I'm going to do a four-card reading. Let's see. All right. So, all right. And the big one is on, on that list is promotion, typically. But let's see. Uh, so product uh, is sort of talking about the, the product yourself. So uh, the Ten of Pentacles is um, what was the first um, one. And I'm wondering... Do you send review copies of your writing to different authors to take a look at and comment on? Or have you ever thought about uh, trying that? Uh, you mean before I release it to the public or just to Yeah, you know, some, sometimes you see like a quote on a particular um um uh, on a on a book, and it'll you know a, a different author will have weighed in on it. The, the reason I ask that the ten of coins is the card of uh, a strong family and a strong network, and I think that there are people within your network who are authors who could be useful to you. And since this is the product P of marketing, where it talks about the actual the thing itself, I wondered um, if you've considered asking other pe- people to review and. Um, promote your books? Not in the traditional sense of, as you said, sending review copies out and asking them to give a quote to put on the back of the book. Mm. I have met some authors and I'm kind of, I'm working with a a blog that I've I've written some guest posts for uh, to do like a giveaway. I don't know Mm. if this might be addressed in the marketing question, but marketing part, but uh, so, and I kind of in that little network, but not in the more traditional as you spoke of. Okay, so that's, there's there's that one to think about. Um, the price... Wait, Charlie. Wait, Charlie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I laid out my cards in the exact same way, so I'm mm-hmm. thinking that maybe as we go through the four oh, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll do the two cards for each one. Um, cool. Because So for me, what came up in the product position is the Six of Pentacles. So uh, my my first thought of that was being able to bundle it with something else in order to attract more attention to it. Um, And uh, whether you are offering something with it, uh, you know, like if you buy the book, you get this free gift or, you know, if you get to this, you get a book at a discounted price. Um, but also there are people who organize different like teleseminars and that kind of thing. And I'll see them every once in a while, um, like Kim Wilborn does some and, um, you know, and what she does is it'll be like, say, a telesummit on crystals. 
and she'll organize 12 people to do uh, a thing about crystals over the course of 12 days. And then you can sign up for that for free or you can pay uh, like $37 or something. And if you do that, you not only get that, but you get a, you can download them in an MP3 format so you can have them afterwards to listen to at any time. And you get all these free things. So like different authors will contribute a book or a CD or a recorded meditation or something like that. So similar to what Charlie was saying in the idea of like sending out review copies so that other people get a chance to see it and also talk about it um, to whoever they reach. I think that finding a way to somehow bundle it and include it as part of something else is going to be uh, key to help getting more eyeballs on this product. Okay, interesting, because one of the things, and this is for a random comment from one of my readers, um, on my website, I mean, my books are also available, you know, on Amazon and all that, mm -hmm. but on my personal website where I make more money, uh, I bundle the books uh, have two different series right now, so I bundled the first two books and first book of each series. And I'm also offering if you buy a book, you get the ebook version free. Mm -hmm. Well, and that and, and that yeah, and that's excellent, you know, starting point. But having it included in a bundle, like let's say for a telesummit kind of thing, means that mm -hmm. awareness of it gets to be reached to a different audience that wouldn't necessarily know you or come across your website. Because in a sense, you have somebody else marketing it for you to their network because they're marketing their telesummit to their list of people. So okay. you might also consider outside bundling in addition okay. to what you're already doing on your website so that additional people can have a chance to come across it that might not normally simply because they don't know of you. Um, yeah. Excellent. And I think my, uh, my second card kind of goes along with that a little bit. Um, so the second P of marketing is price. And what it represents is um, all it represents is like, what are you charging for um um, for your for your work and how can you um, how can that be useful to you as a, as a promotional tool and so um, for price I got the high priestess and I thought that was I thought it was interesting I was struggling with that a little bit but I wondered um, now there are ebook versions available and you mentioned that your books are in a series right um, just just mm -hmm. now yeah so uh, the one I some... just put out is the second in one series excellent. So um, I know that sometimes I see on audible.com or other places that the first book in a new series will get a, a reduced price for a, a period of time so people can become more familiar with that series. Um, I think I, I remember when Audible posts it, they sometimes have uh, start a new series. And I thought it was interesting because so the high priestess is – um, about well, so when when you're, when you're reading for a person, it often represents so um, them coming into knowledge of themselves or hidden knowledge. Um, but I think that when we're looking at when we're, we're kind of reading for your book, um, uh, the high priestess could represent like getting more people to know about it. And since this is the uh, the position of price, 
the tool there of making the first book reduced price or even free for a day allows your current readers, the readers you already have, who want to let other people know about your work to spread the word. Because often what I, what I see is that when there's a reduced price for the first book in a series, people who've been reading the series will promote that on Facebook or Twitter. Um, and I thought that was, that might be something to consider just to make more people aware of your new work. Um, but what did you get for price, Heisey? So I got the Seven of Cups. And one thing that that tells me is that we need to have a variety of price points for people to be able to uh, get into this, into your work in some way. So, uh, you know, and, and that can mean that the, because if somebody says, well, I can't afford to pay twenty four ninety five for the hardback, but I can pay nine ninety nine for the the electronic version. Um, but I'm going to to throw out a a wacky idea here that I that came to me as I looked at this card. Um, what if you broke down the books into chapters, or maybe just the first one or something like that, and you sold it by chapter for ninety nine cents a chapter? Now that doesn't mean somebody can't. What? As a subscription. Well, it could be a subscription, but it doesn't mean that they couldn't get the full book. So, and what this would indicate is that by doing ninety-nine cents, because that's kind of that magic number people have kind of glommed onto at this point. You know, they'll pay ninety-nine cents for a a song on iTunes or whatever. Um, and what it could mean is if you get, like, let's just use an electronic version. If I got the electronic version full, the, the full version, uh-huh. it would be nine ninety nine. But let's say that there's 12 chapters in the book. They could also do it uh-huh. at 99 cents a chapter. So that means they'd only have to pay 99 cents a month. And then by the end of the year, they would have the full book. And whether it's a subscription thing where they automatically get it and you charge the 99 cents or it's available to them to come back and get the second chapter at 99 cents whenever they want. But ultimately what you would do is you would make more money because 99 cents for 12 chapters is going to be more than 9.99 for the full book. Mm-hmm. But yeah. some people may be enticed by only having to pay a dollar at this time because they could save up for another dollar for next month versus having to lay out $10 right now. Um, and and sometimes that's just a psychological thing that happens for people. There's also people but, who are going to think, I'll save money and just get the whole book. <laughs> right. And so it can uh-huh. also entice people to go ahead and buy the book. Um, and, it, and so in either way, it's, all, it's a win-win enticement. Uh, and so... The, the idea of multiple price points, so really kind of think about that, and perhaps a subscription thing or where it's something is available. And, and like Charlie was saying, maybe it's just the first book that's available at 99 cents a chapter or, you know, the second book or something. But um, maybe thinking of something like that so that it entices people because it's small, but they would still have to do it in multiple times if they really wanted the full thing. Okay. So the next card, so place, and what place in marketing represents is where people can get your product. Um, So 
uh, often people run into trouble when their their product is sold in a place that their ideal client doesn't go. But you got the from in my spread, you got the hierophant, and you got a lot of the big cards, by the way. And the hierophant is like the high priest and or the pope, and he represents tradition and traditional methods. And I was wondering, do you ever do um, readings in bookstores? Not yet. I've been in contact uh, with some independent bookstores. Of course, there aren't that many these days. But uh, I contacted four. Two got back to me and want me to bring in copies of my book to uh, sell on consignment. And they also offer, you know, I could, you know, do readings and stuff there. So what 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 I'm interested about that is that um, so because the hierophant represents tradition, the traditional way to buy things is not online. It's in person in a bookstore. And right. with you, with not with, well, sometimes with used bookstores, but also with independent bookstores, um, often people shop at them because they, they want to have kind of an identity or a community feeling. Um, but with them, because they're often, and there's um, some, some of the independent bookstores in San Francisco have been, having a hard time trying to figure out how to, how to make the, make it work. Because um, if people are going there, they're spending more money. There's a reason for it. And um, one of the bookstores, this, this all comes to a point, I promise. Uh, one of the bookstores in the area was going to go out of business, but they offered a, um, a uh, sort of a membership plan um, the, for people to be members. It was like $100 a year or something like that. Borderlands? Uh, Borderlands, yes, yes. I used you know, to live in San Francisco, so oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> they, so you know what I'm talking about. And what they discovered, to their great surprise, they thought that like this wasn't going to work, but they had um, like 300 people um, signing up for 100 dollar memberships within um, within two weeks uh, or less. So what that told them was that there's a community of people interested in that bookstore, and they like events at there because they they associate themselves. Maybe it's kind of hipster. I don't know, but they associate the like the use or the, the independent bookstore with something they want to be a part of and they want to go there for events. So you'd want to promote it and, and uh, make sure that the the store is promoting it with flyers and letting people know about it. But um, I've actually met authors that I rather enjoy because I saw that they were going to um, Ben Bowen of uh, who wrote Holistic Tarot. I saw you know on, I think it was Twitter, that she was going to be available, you know, doing a, a book signing. So I went and got her book in person. So um, just because this is the place thing, I think that um, introducing yourself to the book reading community in person might be satisfying and helpful. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a, it's a lot, but what about, what did you get, high in place? Uh, so I got the nine of wands, but I'm probably going to say something kind of odd here because of the imagery that's very specific to this deck compared to what some people might think of the nine of wands. Um, in this deck, the image shows two gladiators fighting in the Colosseum. So I think that that reiterates what Charlie was saying in the sense of having it in places where there are events going on. So that could be an event at a bookstore. It could be like I was talking about an event like a telesummit kind of thing. And it's part of a bundled package that people get with that. Um, because there's also that idea with the Colosseum, it's 
a lot of people coming together for something in common. So there seems to be a lot about getting your book placed or visible in places where many people are converging and coming together for an event. Because whether it's the Hierophant or it's with the Nine of Wands here in the Colosseum, all of those people are there for a very common event. They're not just randomly all walking through a park. They're all there for something in particular. So there's a sense of commonality and an interest or a, a way of thinking, you know, like if everybody was coming to the New Living Expo, at least, you know, it's a pretty much a, a group of people coming together because they all have a, a like mind towards things of a new age or spiritual nature, you know, that kind of thing. So I think it just reiterates the idea of getting your book placed and visible in event kind of situations so that it's kind of an event that people are getting your book where, you know, oh, it's part of this bundle if I pay for this summit, you know, so it has that kind of sheen of being a, a part of an event kind of thing. And also being in places where there are events going on, whether it's your own reading or other things going on where your book is uh, able to be visible by large numbers of people at a time. Sorority, I was uh, a member bought a bulk order of my books to put in a gift bag to give out to scholarship recipients. And then the same uh, person, uh, the president of the chapter, asked me to bring my books to this next meeting, which is Saturday, to sell my books there because uh, they've actually been pretty supportive buying my books. I do Actually, I do really well selling face-to-face with, mm-hmm. with people. Like you said, old school. They they're not they don't <laughs> shop online, but they're all about. Oh, I can see it now. Okay, no, I'll pay cash. That's fine. Even though I have a square, yeah. but they're like, I'll pay cash. I'm like, okay. And the thing to keep in mind with the face to face is sometimes it can feel like, oh my god, that's a lot of work to sell one book. Um, but the difference is when people meet you, they have a much deeper experience of who you are and they want to share you. You're their secret friend. You know, you're like, they know you, they know an author and they're very proud of that. And so it can create this, um, it's bigger, it's bigger than just, okay, what do I, what does it take to sell this book? <laughs> you know, it's, it's creating a right. bigger thing with that. So the fourth piece. Oh, and then, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. oh, sorry, as I say, oh, there's a book festival coming up this, this, uh, summer. Mm-hmm. And last year I didn't do it because my book wasn't out yet, but you know, mm-hmm. it's for independent authors. And so I have the opportunity if I want to buy a, a table to sell my books or go in with somebody, you know, and purchase a table. That's mm-hmm. a lot of people. It's pretty big. Interesting. So let me, hmm, let me, let me roll that in a little bit to what, um, so promotion is the fourth P, which is when most people think about marketing, they mostly think about, um, the promotion piece or the advertising piece. And you got the moon and the moon is a tricky card. Now at, at the first thing about the moon um, is that I would probably want to acknowledge that there's online advertising can be very strange and intimidating and intense. And it would be very normal for you to feel a bit overwhelmed yes. by yes. it or unhinged by it and to feel like the biggest problem with it is the sort of big question of like, is anyone seeing this? Is anyone really clicking on this? Is this how people buy books? Um, I think one thing just to acknowledge that um, 
the big thing for you to promote this book, um, when I was having a little trouble with my, okay, what are the things about the moon? Okay, well, fear and illusions. But the big one, one of the, one of the, the kinder meanings for the moon is about stimulating the imagination. So to promote your books, um, you might want to think a little bit, this is easy for a tarot reader to say, just to think a bit out, outside of the box and think about what can you do to stimulate the imagination of your potential reader. I think that for you, the traditional model of just having a, a, a thumbnail image on websites with that's a cover of your book with a quote and having people click on that is not the best way to go. Um, so a couple things to think about. Um, one, so with sometimes the moon is about engaging the senses and um, I, w- I wonder, have you ever recorded yourself reading your work? Uh, I think I kind of did a little of it once on mm-hmm. a, I did a YouTube video, mm-hmm. but I think I did that once. I tend to, I got a lot of clicks on my blog when I did video, but I hate doing it because then I have to put on like makeup and, you know, makeup no, you my could hair do audio. And, um, so what you, the way to do it with audio would be, um, uh, well, Audacity is the name is a free audio editing and it's a very simple program. Um it's what we use to edit some portions of the well what I use to edit some portions of High C has better stuff. But um um it can make what you your your recording sound a little more prof- like uh, more professional by canceling noise or whatever. And um because you want to be activating their imagination, I would in um have the recording of your voice. And if you wanted to do it as video, you can put images that are associated with your book or what you're reading um, in, make it kind of more of a slideshow than you. Um, you can do it as yourself. Uh, the big thing about when, when people see you, they connect more with you. They will, they will connect you like with uh, the material. Um, you can even have other people read um, your book and record them if there's someone you would want to record. It doesn't have to be you, but um, that is going to be more stimulating to the imagination and um, more fun than traditional online um, pay-per-click advertising like with Google AdWords. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it's important to be sort of separated from the herd. I think a lot of a lot of books advertise on other writers' pages. <laughs> um, a lot of books advertise or like on podcasts about literature. Um, but I think that if you can find interesting and sensual ways to um, connect your writing with, or to, to connect with your writing, if that's photo collage, if that on your site, or if that's um, recordings uh or uh, um i think that would be very useful is what i'll say but i, I don't want to bogart this session so hi hi c what did you get for promotion so for promotion i got the empress reversed and one thing i would say with that is it's asking you to <laughs> step outside of your your little walls 
and go into um, new foreign or unfamiliar territory in order to promote your book or to get new eyeballs to discover you and your work. It also seems to suggest that perhaps a need for something a little more experimental. So if I think of the Empress relating to Virgo, then the reversal says we need to let go of that 